You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. So, last week, we also read from 2 Kings, chapter 2. Does anyone remember who was here last week, what the story was about last week? Elijah. So Elijah goes up to heaven in a whirlwind, but before Elijah goes up in a whirlwind, he asked Elisha, his predecessor, if there's one thing I can give you before I go to heaven, what would it be? Who remembers what Elisha asked for? Spirit, an extra, a double measure, an extra portion of God's spirit that he saw in his mentor and friend, Elijah. Let's take a quick look back to see how long it took for this spirit Spirit-filled Elisha to do his first miracle. Here we go. 2 Kings 2, 13 to 14. It was about the last verses we read last week. And he took up the cloak of Elijah and had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water was parted on the one side and to the other And Elisha went over. I'm thinking that he's got a pretty good portion of that spirit going. It's not every day that we walk across a river on dry ground, is it? But parting the Jordan River was just the beginning of Elisha showing that he had that extra measure of God's spirit. There's a whole bunch of of examples in chapters 3 and chapter 4 before we get to chapter 5. But before we do that, let's make sure we understand where we are kind of in the history of Israel and Judah. Because we are in a time frame here where the kingdom is split. Okay, Northern kingdom, southern kingdom. So, what is this northern kingdom called? Is it Israel or Judah? Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. And so this was a time when Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and Jehoram, the son of Ahab and Jezebel, was king of Israel. Jehoram was the king. Now, if your parents were Ahab and Jezebel, you probably didn't have a very good chance of having a good faith life. I mean, we still use Jezebel today, don't we? Ah, she's just a little Jezebel. And hopefully we don't say that about her wives. So this is the king of Israel. Just think how many times when you read in First and Second Kings when it talks about, and Jehoshaphat was king of Israel for 18 years, and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord over and over and over. At least in Judah, there were a few good kings. 
But unfortunately, Jehoram's parents were the ungodly Ahab and Jezebel. So let's take a look now at some of these instances where Elisha's showing that he's got that extra measure of spirit. Let's go to chapter 2 first, verse 21. Then he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage should come from it. So he had this rotten, stinky, sour water. And Elisha just goes, little salt, little spirit, whoo, clean water. Nice miracle. In chapter 4, there's another miracle. In chapter 4, there's a widow. And she's in trouble. She's in financial trouble. She's in so much trouble that the people she's indebted to have told her, if you don't pay your debts, we'll just take your two boys. Now think about that. She's in serious trouble. So along comes her friend Elisha. And Elisha tells her boys, go find a bunch of vessels. Because the only thing that this woman had that was worth any value was a small vessel of oil. So they go find, they probably go around the neighborhood and find vessels. And they bring them, and they just miraculously get filled with oil. One after another, one after another. Let's take a peek. Chapter 4, 6 to 7. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God, Elisha, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Now that's a powerful miracle in chapter 4. But there's another one. There's another miracle in chapter 4. This one you're probably a little bit more familiar with. It involves the Shunammite woman, and her son dies. And Elisha knows her probably a friend. He brings her son back to life. 2 Kings 4, 32, when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself on him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So as you can see, that spirit is alive and well in Elisha. So that leads us to today's scripture reading and another miracle. So who remembers from the reading what the miracle is going to be in chapter 5. Shout it out. Naaman is going to be healed of what? Leprosy. Now that's a big deal. Now Naaman was the commander of the army of Syria. Syria was very powerful. And it's very interesting when you read about Naaman because he's really built up and then... It says, but he had leprosy. Let's take a peek. 2 Kings 5.1. This is from our reading today. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him, 
the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Just threw that in there right at the end. But he was a leper. Well, leprosy was crippling. It was a death sentence. It was a horrible, horrible disease. So the way leprosy starts is just little red spots. And then those red spots become big red spots. And then those big red spots, they become white and flaky and scaly. And then the next part of the disease affects fingernails and toenails. And the fingernails and toenails start rotting and they just start falling off. The next part of the disease starts affecting the ends of fingers and toes and those first joints. And they start rotting and they start falling off. Then to the mouth. The gums just start drying up and rotting. And guess what happens to the teeth? They all fall out. And pretty soon they can't see. And then they finally die. This isn't some play-play disease we're talking about. But disease isn't picky. We found that out in COVID. You can be rich or poor. You can get COVID. No difference with leprosy. But something was very different about the way things were or the way things were seen with leprosy. Because before kind of studying this week, I, would, I always envisioned anyone who got leprosy, they were shunned from society, right? They had leper communities. And you just went there to die, to rot, literally to rot and die. But not if you were high status. You were almost reveled. That's just the way it was. So that's why in our story, if you're going, hold it, Naaman has leprosy and he's traveling all over the place? It's because he was a commander. So anyway, Naaman needs a miracle. He absolutely needs a miracle. And that miracle comes from a very, very unlikely source to get this story rolling, to get this healing story rolling. You see, there's a little Jewish girl who's the servant of Naaman's wife. And she was taken, she was stolen from a family in Israel during one of their raids. And this little girl, this little Jewish girl, just call her a little slave girl, that's what she was. She's the one that suggests to Naaman's wife, why don't you tell your master to take him to Samaria because the prophet, and she's referring to Elisha, our spirit-filled Elisha, he can, he can heal him. So you might be going, well, why would Naaman, who doesn't even know God, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, he's not going to do this, but let's take a step backwards. The pagan worshiping countries around Israel they knew Jehovah. They knew Yahweh. Because they heard all about him. 
They knew the stories of millions of Jews being taken out of Egypt by the hand of God and the Red Sea parting. And I guarantee you that Naaman had already heard about our little, our little altar burning challenge we talked about last week. Do you remember that? So the worshipers, the worshipers of Baal, Elijah, he challenged him. You build the altar, I'll build the altar. Let's see which God's going to light this baby on fire. And without going through the whole story again, but it's a fun story. Obviously, the prophets of Baal didn't have a chance. And when it was Elijah's God's turn, he not only lit that altar on fire and this bowl of the sacrifice, the rocks became dust. That's how powerful our God is. So there's little doubt that Naaman knew God, that he knew Jehovah, Yahweh. That doesn't mean he believed in him. So Naaman's boss, the Syrian king, ends up writing a letter. Then sends it to King Jehoram, the king of Israel, to try to get him to heal Naaman. Let's take a peek. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. So one source that I read this week estimated that all of that gold and all of that silver was worth about, in today's exchange, $1.2 million. The king of Syria was serious about getting his commander healed and back to work. So Jehoram, king of Israel, gets this letter, and he has a very bizarre reaction, if you remember, when we read it. So he's either afraid that because he can't heal Naaman, that the king of Syria is going to get ticked off and come and do another raid or start another battle or do something. And honestly, why in the world would he want to have anything to do with Elisha? Ungodly Jehoram, godly Elisha, that's not going to mix very well. So he's beside himself. He rips his clothes apart and is totally distraught. But Elisha hears about this. And he sends word to the king, Jehoram, hey, tell, tell Naaman, come visit me in my house. So that's what he does. Naaman goes to Elisha's house, but Elisha doesn't come out. He sends a messenger. Who remembers what the messenger told Naaman? Wash in the Jordan River. How many times? Seven times. And you will be renewed. So you would think that if that's all you had to do, you would be leaping for joy. You probably would have taken a dead sprint, don't you think? That is not Naaman's response at all. Take a look at his response in verse 11. But Naaman was angry, and he went away saying, Behold, 
I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He could not humble himself enough to be healed of his leprosy. Here's a man with a death sentence. Now there's a hint that he's not very humble way back in the beginning because when it talked about how the king sent the gold and the silver, he also sent ten of something. What was it? Ten changes of clothes. He is so high and mighty and he thinks so much of himself that he had to put on a new general and commander uniform every single day. No, he wasn't humbled at all. The other thing he was ticked about was he didn't want to wash in that dirty, scummy Jordan River. In Damascus, where he was from, they had beautiful rivers. Take a leak, or take a, a look at, at 5:12. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. Can you believe his reaction? He walked away from being healed, and all he had to do was follow a simple instruction: go wash in the Jordan. He couldn't do it. He had his mind on how things were going to play out. And he thought so much of himself and his ways, he wasn't going to change his mind. He has a death sentence, and he has a cure, but he doesn't go for it. But see, you and I, we all have a death sentence too, don't we? What's our disease? Three-letter word, right? Our disease is sin. Well, we're just as terminally ill as Nathan. We don't always follow God's directions or plans. We only follow sometimes when it's convenient, when it's in our box, not when it's outside our box. So that leads us to the question that we asked last week. Are you living with the Lord or dying, in, or dying with the world? Take a look at that one more time. Are you living with the Lord or dying with the world? It fits this week just like it fit last week. Naaman was not used to living with the Lord. He was used to living with the world. Well, Naaman didn't even know the Lord. How was he supposed to suddenly have a change of heart when all he wanted was wealth and fame and status? So God knew it was going to take a very special miracle to humble the almost unhumdable Naaman. But thankfully, that's exactly what happens. Let's read the rest of the story to see how it plays out. 2 Kings 5.13, but his servants came near him and said to him, my father, it's a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? In other words, did he really just say that's all you have to do? And you're not going to do it? Are you crazy? This is your chance. You don't have to do anything but go wash in the Jordan River. 
You don't have to pay $1.2 million. You don't have to sign on the dotted line. You don't have to do anything but just wash on the Jordan River. And you're not going to do that? But thankfully, Naaman comes to his senses with all the help of his servants. And you know the Holy Spirit was working on his heart. And between the servants and the spirit, the egomaniac self of Naaman in verses 14 and 15, we're going to get happy. We're going to get a happy ending. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, Elisha, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Don't you love happy endings? But did you catch it? Naaman is a believer. He said, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He believes. But we shouldn't be surprised. We have a faithful God. The same God who healed Naaman, he's our faithful God. You see, Naaman wasn't just healed physically, was he? More importantly, Naaman was healed spiritually. He went into the Jordan a condemned sinner. He came out of the Jordan a child of God. Have you ever seen that happen before? Makes the, the, the hairs on my arms stand up. God comes to us in holy baptism. He comes to us in the word. But we're going to take a little different turn now because I want to take a look at that word dipped, okay? And the word dipped in Hebrew means plunged. And trust me, Hebrew is closer to the right translation than English. And when you think of plunged into the Jordan River, it's a whole different picture, isn't it? Because have you ever gone swimming and, it's, and you know the water's cold, whether it's a pool, whether it's a river, maybe the ocean, and you really have two choices, don't you? You're either going to kind of dip your toes in a little bit and get little bit used to it or what are you going to do plunge remember the nest tea plunge that just gives a whole different approach to this story when he came out after plunging himself into the Jordan River the seventh time his skin renewed like a little child Wow, that's an awesome, awesome vision. But I've got good news for you. Through the waters of holy baptism, God made us one of his children, and we are renewed just like Naaman. God wants us to be all in, to take the plunge with him. Because you see, God was all in for us. God the Father was all in because he sent his one and only son 
to die for us and rise again because he was all in. And God, his son, was all in because he did the will of the Father. Jesus was all in. And and God, the Holy Spirit, he nudges us, he directs us, he rebukes us, he encourages us, he guides us, he leads us beside the cool waters so that we can be renewed and forgiven, just like Naaman. God, the Holy Spirit's all in. See, God doesn't want us just to test the waters. He desires for us to be all in. He desires for us not to dip into the, into the pool of Christianity. He wants us to plunge into the living waters of Jesus. He wants us to be all in. Have you ever heard of a lukewarm Christian? He wants us to live with the Lord, not die with the world. And we may fail at times, but our God is loving, he is gracious, and he is faithful. He is faithful. He renews us daily. He forgives us daily. So, are you ready to take the plunge for the Lord or just a little dip? What are you waiting for? It's time to take the plunge into the living waters of Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.